Hi, my name's Liam. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know me as the host who is so cruelly and constantly forced to exist in a universe where all of his predictions have retroactively been rendered incorrect. Fortunately, that's not what this is about. The next two episodes are going to be difficult. Due to unforeseen circumstances, I had to record in the least acceptable quality I have as of yet on the podcast. You may notice I'm quiet. You may notice a lot of room sounds. You may notice a lot of dog noises and constant choking sounds. Please do your best to ignore them. They've been edited around wherever was possible, and I apologize. The late release of this episode is entirely my fault, and I will do my best to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Hello and welcome to Too Rash, Too Unadvised, Obligatory Surrenders in Seven Surrenders. My name is Liam Nolan. And mine's Wuero Kariuki. And mine's Amy, the No Longer Anonymous. Oh, how thematic. And today we're discussing chapter 19. If you want to ask us any questions or be on the show, please feel free to reach out at two rash two undervise at gmail.com. That's still two is in the number two, and I still may check that email, so no spoilers, please. Also support us, and more importantly, enter on Patreon. With that out of the way, and many thanks to our Lord and our Savior, Seth. An eternal tyrant, who I will, of course, kill. And a final note to the listeners, that if you'd like me not to speed through this next time, to say something. I think you all get the gist by now, and this isn't the kind of show you can pop in for an episode of. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before I start describing what this person does, I need to stress that they graduated with a journalism degree, and I'm pretty sure they don't listen to this podcast. Um, and they use semicolons as the second comma in a sentence. Oh no! And it <laughs> and it, it bothers me to a degree. That is difficult to justify when I have to edit their work. And to be clear, I'm not a copy editor or a person with more than an associate's degree in English, but they, with their actual journalism degree, will list things in the format item A, comma, item B, semicolon, item C. And Well what's what if there's an item D? What happens after that? Yeah. A semicolon. Okay. So the only... What? Let me give you an example. So, Let's say I'm writing a shopping list. <laughs> no, I believe you. I believe you. It's just... I need milk, comma, wow. eggs, semicolon, and butter. <laughs> have you told them? Yes, I have. Well, what? I've edited their work before it goes out to people who matter. I've seen them use four semicolons in one sentence. No. Oh. Um, Semicolon is one you need to stay away from if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, goodness. 
So I'm prone to agree with you that written English is in need of some <laughs> clarifications. <laughs> Apparently people are graduating with four-year degrees and not understanding one of like the top twelve punctuation marks that exist. <laughs> Yeah, so just when you when you go back, think about whether or not you need to cut that. I'm not sure if it's an interesting enough story to make the make the grade. I don't think anyone I work with listens to this podcast um, on the grounds that I haven't been fired yet. <laughs> and I've definitely um, said things that would warrant it on this podcast. I've cut all the things you talk about your, when you talk about your job. Yeah, I've said things about the world that would warrant it. <laughs> like all those times I fully backed an actual empire. <laughs> Pro-dictatorship would be frowned upon? It depends on the context, you know? Let's let's look at the nuance here. <laughs> I do okay. wish the Masons hadn't turned out to be an empire. Because it's it doesn't upset me enough to stop supporting them, but it's unfortunate. You know, I don't think I mentioned this before. Uh, my grandfather was a Mason. Ooh. He left it. His his oh. his grandfather and not his grandfather. His father and mother. His father was obviously the Mason. His mother worked for the Masons. They were really into the Masons. Uh, my grandfather, once he got out of their small town, was like, "Oh, the Masons are racist." No, thank you. So, <laughs> but so in a in a book, in in a book by a publisher, Braille, there's a comment about this. This is one rule about the Masons have: they have to be freeborn. And typically, people now just say, "Oh, it's just a fun, quirky rule." Oh, but it was explicitly <laughs> made. Yeah. In order to exclude slaves, like black people, because they were used to be sl- most black people in Western society used to be slaves. Um, but then a significant fraction of the Masons just didn't use it that way. Um, <laughs> they just accepted all all the, the freedmen anyway, and mm-hmm. so all so uh, for a significant fraction of, of the Masons, they just like have this rule and they don't really know why they have it. <laughs> Oh. Okay, so okay. we're we're now off the cousins chapter. I don't think I had any other interesting notes from there. Um, Section which is one chapter. We're two hours in. That's right. These are only parts of the chapter. Every one of these, if it had been a chapter, I would not have complained about it. <laughs> well, I'd have complained at not getting to read more of them, but as a structural element of the story, I think they are. Um, they are substantial enough to warrant a chapter in and of themselves. Yeah, I think this is, this is almost literally seven. And Minecraft states as much at the beginning. This is seven distinct episodes which underpin the this narrative of history. Yes. So now we hit the fall of the Masons, originally mm-hmm. presented as the fall of Europe. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was... And we're back in time again. Dead is in utero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I should make it clear that we—it's not at first clear where in time we are. Mark doesn't at any point give us dates. He just starts talking, starts dialogue. If to figure out from the dialogue, 
we know how old well, Jed he, is, he does right? say, yeah, 22 years ago. Yeah. Eventually, but he doesn't, like, start off, like, say, Mike, uh, not Mike, no. Martin's chapters have, like, time dates about yeah. when everything's recorded. If someone goes, he goes back and edits, he tells us what, when he went back and edited it. Uh, this is just not true here, where we're just thrown in media res. At some point in the middle of it, we're told what the year is. We very quickly figure out, or at least could figure out through to do math, which I admit I am not, what the year is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that Mycroft, of all people, paints... Maybe I got into this sufficiently at the start of this chapter. I think it's interesting that Mycroft paints the fall of the hives as often being the time that they resigned themselves to Jehovah, but sometimes resigned themselves to Madame. So Madame and Jehovah are kind of presented in this chapter as being a single force, which I think so far hasn't been true, but maybe is trying to tell me something about the future that I haven't quite caught on to yet, which is that maybe Jehovah is more aligned with Madame than I previously believed him to be. I think... Madame's goal is an empire under Jehovah, as is told by Sniper and um, Ando in a later chapter, in a later section of this one chapter. Mm-hmm. And so if someone turns to Madame directly, she'll just tell him to go follow Jed. I think there's a meaningful difference between the hives that submit themselves to... And to be clear, I actually don't think all of the hives submit themselves to Jed or Madame. I'm going to get to that at the end. Yeah. I think there's a meaningful difference between submitting yourselves to the rule of Jehovah and submitting yourselves to the rule of Madame. Oh, yeah, sure. And I don't think that's adequately presented in the text. Or at least I don't think the text, and by the text I mean Mycroft, draws that distinction clearly enough for my tastes. Mm-hmm. Well, he is saying it's just when they fall. I don't think he said it's when they fall to Madame. It's implicit that he means when they fall to Madame, I think. I think he means when he falls to... I think, if anything's implicit, it's when they fall to Madame's plan. Yes. And it does really matter, like, who the Jethai's fall to, uh, in terms of, like, what it means for the high, what it means for the future, how, what it means, like, strategically and stuff. Um, yes. But they're all falling to this... This, this, this plan. scheme, right? They're all becoming victims of this plot, but I think it's interesting and meaningful which hives fall to Madame and which hives fall to Jehovah. Yes. And perhaps that is self-serving in that the Masons, the hive I've clearly thrown my hat in with here, are really ambiguous in terms of which one the true answer there is. <laughs> I try not to be self-serving on this podcast. I don't always succeed. <laughs> um, I like the the first note in this chapter is um, Faust saying, "You can't marry a prostitute." But what do your friend the Pope say? Well, in this section, <laughs> not this chapter. This section, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not the only one making that mistake. I love the King of Spain in this entire chapter, by the way. I know I said I would get back to it, but he is 
he's really committing to his principles here, and I, I, I like that. Good for the King of Spain. He is a more interesting and meaningful character here than I think he's been in this entire story. I understand in this chapter why anyone would submit themselves to the rule of the King of Spain. Uh. Hmm. And this is sort of... Because Minecraft has a theory about why the King of Spain is good as a ruler. Um... Uh, you revealed in the first chapter King of Spain shows up explicitly. Yeah, in the party at Ganymede's. When it's talking about what Ganymede hates the king. Uh, is that Europe has come to trust through history the King of Spain and the King of Spain's family to govern well and to govern them well and to be fair and just. With the King of his family, as we note, are the Bourbons. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the same, exact same dynasty that ruled France before the Revolution. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not throwing my hat in here for its entire family. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. But this it's, it's one character list. specifically, all of a sudden has more of a backbone than I realized he had. And I'm, I'm on board for that. He's willing to throw away his entire reputation based on what ultimately was probably a mistake he made, having a child with Madame. And good for him. I think he's making the right choice under his own ethical system, and he's willing to commit to the consequences of his version of ethics, even though those are negative for him, obviously, as a person. And uh, thumbs up, King of Spain. Good job. It's pretty interesting. We talked earlier about this. That um, well, he says, "I'll abdicate if I have to. I won't yeah. leave my child to be raised in secret like some object of shame." That is a no. Good for you. I was talking to talk about um, Hogwarts as an accident, because uh, it, it probably it's an accident from the king's perspective. But as the censor notes, it's probably not an accident from Madame's perspective. <laughs> it's probably on purpose. <laughs> Yes, Madame has clearly been doing it then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will, I'll note as a note that um, apparently every single person but Ganymede could possibly have been the father of Jed. Uh, and in that room are... Oh, let's see if I can remember. I th- Ando. Yeah. The censor. Uh, mm-hmm. The emperor. Faust. It's basically everyone. It's everyone who matters. Well, at the time. So <laughs> it's... And they matter in different ways, too, right? So it's the censor, Faust, the king, uh, and, and the emperor. And these people are also part of the this the ultimate bash that ends up trying to run the world. But they all have sort of different places in it. But one thing, the censor is the censor, not the anonymous. For another, the king of Spain... Is actually prime minister. <laughs> yeah, this is well because it was Jed who made Madame realize the censor was anonymous. Yeah. So Jed isn't born yet, mm-hmm. uh, and this is before all the terrible oh scandal oh. with the King of Spain. Yes. So he is prime minister at the time. That's, that's interesting. I had been, and perhaps this is informed somewhat by my early and correct guess. 
Uh, I keep it under the impression that Dom was in fact one of the people who knew who the Anonymous was before their even in context unmasking, if you will. They, they, I think they had a plan to try to unmask Anonymous, but Jed just walked up to the censor one day and asked him about his, an essay he wrote. Yeah. Yeah, I was under the presumption for most of this chapter that Madame had figured out who the Anonymous was by this point in the history. That, that would make um, the anonymous, Madame the Anonymous. Well, the next anonymous. I actually disagree. Oh I realize that the story of the Anonymous is that the first person to identify them becomes the Anonymous. But I think it's much more true to say that the first person to identify them and inform the Anonymous of this fact becomes the Anonymous. That's fair, yeah. Fair point. But she did, I think, say herself that, wow, I was planning to try to find the Anonymous and then... Jed just made it super easy for me, so thanks. Uh, Did she say that? I may have missed yeah. that line. Per- perhaps you're correct. It, it was it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was in the first chapter the anonymous appeared. We saw the anonymous like, as a person. Uh, okay. Uh, the second note I want to make is um this is before uh, the, the 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 last note is that Kosala is missing. Um, to be mm-hmm. a person with independent power in the in the future bash, um, and yeah, but I think that makes sense. We well, already and... hear the story of how Kasala was inducted into the brothel. Oh yeah. yeah, because she got the anonymous. She wanted the anonymous, so yeah, can't have her until then. I know that this makes sense, and then I also want to note that um, apparently the um. The marriage of, of Vivian and Casala merged the two bashes. Uh, his his tiny French one to the Casala's huge and loving Indian one. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. can't really be a full description of their bashes. Uh, because the one person we know is part of the, the, the combined bash is Korean. Who's that? The Young So Young. So they're the deputy censor. Uh, so they showed up then, but here in the in, in this chapter they show up first when um then it says that Su Young can take care of you, and then later when um Kosala's like, I couldn't ask the censor because the censor was um the anonymous, so I asked the deputy censor, who is her child, uh <laughs> to run me things instead. Uh, yeah. This is I think part of the um incestuousness. <laughs> Papa was complaining about, right? Because you have the chair, even before any of this, this this comes out, the censor is married to the chair of the cousins and their child is deputy censor. I don't think Papa was wrong to complain. Yeah. Yeah. Although, maybe they were just really good at number. Nah, I can't defend this one. <laughs> it's, it's astonishingly unlikely that the deputy censor being the child of the censor and the anonymous was because they were the most qualified I, I can't turn that one into an argument, I'm sorry 
Enjoy that sound clip, by the way, of me saying I can't turn that into an argument. It's the only time you're going to hear it. I've been collecting <laughs> sound clips of you admitting defeat. Just as a FYI. Go ahead. It's probably the right <laughs> thing to do. It'll make a very fun little bonus episode. <laughs> So, other notes on this section. Oh, I have more. Let me pull up my notes again. I, I put them down as I was looking at the pages. Oh, uh, I have one. Ganymede says insulting Ando as being a common businessman because the Mitsubishi of Bane and Nobility. The Mitsubishi. At some point, I said it was going to go into a history of Mitsubishi. And I can go a little bit now, but they're they a big thing. Um, okay. I only have two notes left, so go for it. The Mitsubishi are a, a something called a Kanetsu. Uh, well, something called a Kanetsu. Make sure I have my, my words right. Uh, which, for listeners who are... For those listeners who are annoyed about dropping foreign terms, the uh, translation translates to something like... So the, they're often translated as conglomerate. Uh, this is not really right. Uh, I think the best translation is, is, is concern. They're literally... There used to be things like this in in in... There are things like this in the um, in the English-speaking world, and they're called concerns. They're not great in terms of from a monopolist perspective, because what they end up being are these sort of like uh, horizontal monopolies. Uh, the Mitsubishi are uh, are were a family which owned a bank which had. A mining corporation, which had an engineering corporation, which had a um, shipping corporation, etc., which all functioned together, giving each other um, buddy buddy deals, in order to and receiving very good loans and very good um, very good loans from the central bank, the Mitsubishi Bank, which still exists today, um, in a sort of like, attempt to coordinate a, a, a part of the economy. To the benefit of the Mitsubishi family. Uh, not really things... Well, there's nothing so large uh, like that in the US with the rise of antitrust laws. And even in Japan with the with the um, surrender of Japan, the US made Koretsu illegal, formally speaking. Um, but they then became... Well, let's make sure I'm using the right word. Um, they became replaced by something more like a, a regular conglomerate. Where all of these bit arms are formally independent, they just have a meeting once a month where they talk who knows what about probably their families. Um, it's been calling, can be calling Mitsubishi barely mobility when they control a significant portion of the Japanese economy for a very long time and even to this day. It's sort of like the ultimate sentence about Nova Rich because it's not like mm. Mitsubishi have been rich. For very for centuries, for, for at least four hundred years by this point, three hundred years at this point. I think being rich and being nobility are two distinct things, and I hate that I'm on Ganymede's side in this one, but I think Ganymede is right. But they 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 were a family. They functioned a lot like uh, I think nobility would, because they were surrounded about they were they were hostage on this one family. They may have actually been nobility. One second. Japan if, had noble titles. I think they might have been a little bit nobility. If they are literally nobility, then I'm on your side. Um, I think nobility is a different thing than wealth. 
especially for someone like Ganymede in the world that he was raised in. Nobility, you could be a poor noble for Ganymede. So just the fact that the Mitsubishis were wealthy is not necessarily the same thing as being a valuable person. It is the the um, founder of Mitsubishi is descended from samurai. They had been no, samurai, samurai, uh, but then they got kicked out for various reasons because of debts. But now uh, they were reinstated afterwards. Where did the samurai fall in the hierarchy? Officially, samurai not, were like I realize they were sort of generic the... term. Go on. You see, her generic term in in England. Barons? They were like barons. Okay, they were comparable to barons. Uh, so proper nobility, then. Yeah. Like, sometimes you hear knights, but they really were, like... They were the... Sort of like knights, sort of like barons. In between there. So they were like a baron that was expected to stab people? All barons were expected to stab people. More expected to stab people? <laughs> Less <laughs> land. Less land, Okay. Okay, like barons, but with less land. Um, okay, alright. I'm on board then. Yeah. This Since, is, this... Uh, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt. This, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just saying this, this is ultimately just like the ultimate... Ganymede sees himself as as, 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 as an heir of the uh, Capet line from 800 uh, BC, and it's talking about this Nova Rich line from 1800. Um... And it's, it's just ridiculous. Well, for them, 1800 was a longer time ago. That's the, that makes it more ridiculous. It's one thing now to say uh, 800 versus 1800. They had 200, 200 years in the future. It's ridiculous. All right. Almost 500 years in the future. It's ridiculous. Well, sure. I, I guess I can. Yeah. I don't think... I think it... Nobility is an interesting... I don't think being born by a ruler is an interesting way to differentiate who is a a more or less valuable person. So I'm I'm having some difficulty coming up with reasons why they might be. (laughs) This is fair. But it's also... I think it makes sense in in Madame's. But, like, in the context of what year it is, it's very petty. Yeah, in the context of Madame's, a lot of things make sense that I struggle to make sense of in the real world. Yeah. But also, to be fair, Ganymede is always really petty. Oh, so, yeah. For <laughs> kind sure. of both. Yeah. For sure. I don't... F- Although we also find out in this mm-hmm. that Madame refuses to let him call her mother. That's what I was going to get to. That's like... Ooh. Fundamentally, one of the, the, the fundamental strikes against Madame. Madame has yeah. literally gone line by line, making this person's genetic code and raise them in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a fundamental way, giving them a unique basis for who they are, and refuse it, and, and rendered them without parents. Academy doesn't have parents. There's a part of me that kind of loves that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it like, makes sense, because Madame wanted to be, she has only one child, and that child is Jed. Yeah. And so it's special. Mm-hmm. So Ganymede cannot be her child. Which just sucks for him. Well, no, no, it's not. It's not that bad. Ganymede was never her child, which isn't as bad as saying that Ganymede 
perhaps was her child until Jed came around, which would be worse. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that, I don't know if that necessarily follows, but I can see the argument for it. Um, and then we also see Dominic, uh, <laughs> who yeah. from Jed's birth has been ordained to be his servants. Pre-birth, even. Yeah. Conception. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a note where Mycroft says, I asked Dominic what he thought about uh, seeing Jed, whether he had any premonitions of the future, of what the relationship would be. Right. Dominic struck me from, <laughs> for the audacity. <laughs> that, that sounds very Dominic as a thing to do, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's very in character. So we're... Um, where I also are want we to note... In the chat, are okay. we still on Spain? We, we kind of drifted into a number of other sections of this chapter. We're drifting through um, Mason's uh, surrender. And I also want to note, um, before we drift to, to, to Mason explicitly surrendering, um, the censor saying that, no, without the exception of the majesty, none of them have children of their own, none of them are likely to. Only women who can excite us are the ones Madame controls. Mm. In the future bash, this isn't true. The censor, the censor and Kosala excite each other, and are both, in some senses, independent from madames. And uh, my, it's my personal, at least, headcanon that Danae has made her great escape with Ando, uh, making them both independent in some sense of madame. I think that is backed up by the chapter, but I don't think it's... I don't think it counts as an escape if madame intended for the escape to happen. Oh, sure, but I don't think madame really intended for the escape to happen. Well, see, I do... I think that's actually laid out really clearly earlier on in this book, where they talk about what it means for a woman to be married off into another family. But Ando only married her because uh, Marion Cray had ruined her for everybody else. Sure, but I agree. Independent of that, we get a section early in this chapter about how the fact that she's been married off means that her loyalty now lies with Ando and Namadam because of what marriage means for women. So... Perhaps it is true that Danae is now loyal to Ando instead of Madame, but I think that is ultimately part of Madame's manipulation and not part of Ando's anything. I think this that's an attempt to, like, cover for this escape. I think Madame would have said this. This is a way for Danae and Ando to, 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 to put free gleefs over the fact that Danae is now truly in... It's not just independent of Madame. Yeah, I can see either readings. Mm-hmm. And so Mason comes up with the solution that they are all the father. Mm-hmm. Which is what Madame had said to all of them independently. Well, <laughs> That's right! Madame's <laughs> just so mean. <laughs> I like how it's not even just like the Privately went to each of them and had a, a, a speech. They had the same speech. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. I think she enjoys them knowing that she's manipulating them and that they can't get out of it anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's that is a, a big part of what's happening here. Because uh, even even now they they've laid it out for themselves. They all know what's going to happen and they can't escape from it. It's like the um the Chasm and Perry chapter where everyone is like, well. You probably should deal with the world collapsing, uh, but instead we're going to deal with this private family drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Liam, did you have a couple other notes on the Liam, this is not here. I have to figure out why, what happened. Oh my god! I hadn't been looking at the screen. There we go. That makes more sense. He wouldn't have been quiet for this long. Yeah. <laughs> Hello! Oh, thank god. Hello! Much better. Uh, I promise this was a, a technical difficulties issue. Um, as opposed to? As opposed to just my, my sheer incompetence. Um, we burned through 40-some percent of my phone battery in this conversation. The listeners may not be aware, but this this has been a long recording session. This is going to be two 12, four, 12 episodes on a single chapter. They're going to realize... Yeah, so I uh, I had to do several things just then to make this work again. Um, I'm fairly confident that our our recording, in the sense of the line that the listeners will hear, is still going. Okay. So I don't That's know where you guys are. I'm going to well, try to finish my previous sentence, which okay. was, I believe that Madame would have expected Danae as a consequence of the marriage contract to become loyal to Ando as opposed to herself ten years before any of this stuff happened because of how marriage works. I'll be honest, it's been like five minutes. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it was like to my point that I think that um, saying by saying that my preference is sort of covering for the Denise independence. Um, I think it, it is a thing that's the thing that's true of the 18th century, it's not a certain thing that's true of the 18th century. It's how people wanted to think about aristocratic marriages. But for example, um, famously, Brie-Internet was thought of by the French people as a kind of German, uh, as a foreign agent. Um, even though she's been living in France since 14. Um, I think Madame and the philosophy brothel are much more about what people wanted to believe about aristocratic everything than actual historical aristocratic. Well, yeah. it's interesting because, like, actually in this case, Marie Antoinette was French in every, every reasonable sense. She's been living in France since she was 14. Um, but people wanted to think that she was a foreign agent. But this is... People in this case are not the aristocrats, they're the, just the people of France during the revolution. I was going to say I made a mistake. Okay, continue. Uh, I made a mistake last time, la yeah, the last episode, I attempted to translate um, what Jehovah said, and I translated it wrong. Uh, so, to go back and try that line again, I translated. Why tem di me espera nado tu asata de 60? As, why have you made me hope for so long, etc. Um, to speak, to speak, to, to say, to say anything, to say anything. Sorry, to, for you to say things, for you to say something. Yeah. And really what it should be is, why have you made me hope for so long, for you to have said something, for you to have said, sub, said something, etc. So the etc. is applied mm. to those two, uh, those two verbs, uh, to asada and to 60, which mean the same thing. You said. Okay. 
Yep. I think... So, so my, I think... No, not Minecraft. Jehovah clearly thinks that those two verbs communicate different things. Don't know what they are. Uh, <laughs> I only know that but one is honorific and one is, doesn't have a notion of honorific. And maybe that's what they're getting at. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I think we were just kind of getting to Mason's actual surrender part. Yeah, yeah. And I love that he gets very technical and how everything will work out. And then she comes back to, but will you love him? Yeah. And even then, he's he's pretty technical about whether or not he will love him. Yeah. <laughs> Mason is great. <laughs> That's going to be one of my less inconsistent takes, but... Uh, yeah. Good job. Technically, we... he will love his child. Yes. Oh, no. I will have little choice. Yeah. I can't help <laughs> it. Glowing review. Uh, should we jump into Europe now? Yeah. Back okay. in the present again. So I think the... I've a little bit talked about Europe already. Spain just comes across yeah. as really fantastic throughout his entire fall, <laughs> which is an odd <laughs> sentence to say. Well, uh, the fall isn't a, really a consequence of Spain doing anything but trying to do the best of a situation. Because doing the best of the situation yeah. means retaking the reins of Europe in a far more permanent way. Also important part of the fall, uh, the previous crown pr- prince is dead. Yeah. And so now he has one heir, and that's Jed. And even even more than that, the, the current entire apparatus of the European government, many some much of which opposed him, right, because they ran against him in an election and part of uh, Perry Cray's, yeah, Perry Cray's uh, coalition. Uh, no, no one opposed him. Yeah. He pulled out. Because well, he was honorable, and there'd been a scandal about someone fixing the polls. Yeah. And so he was like, well, then I guess I better not run. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone would have still voted for him. <laughs> sure, but I think he would have had people voting against him, is the idea. Is my, is my thing. The, people, the, the anti-king crowd had politicians. But all of them are dead now. All of them I, are dead, think... except for the people who are personally loyal to uh, the ki- so personally loyal to the King of Spain to have retired, and also Jehovah. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear in the books that he would have won if he hadn't resigned. Yeah. Even though everyone would have manipulated the election to make sure he stayed in power, mm-hmm. I think we're expected to believe that he would have stayed in power mm-hmm. if he hadn't been so great a person mm-hmm. as to resign based merely on the implication that maybe he wouldn't have deserved it. Yes. And with the context of this chapter, I'm pretty in favor of the King of Spain, frankly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the King of Spain isn't doing anything really... I mean, he's doing doing things that, while we will look back to this questionable, he's not doing anything, like, fundamentally wrong. He's doing the best he can in the situation, given the history he has. He is really consistently doing the most best thing, despite the cost that might have to himself. Yes. And it's difficult for me to argue against that consistently. And but and what's happening here isn't that like is that the most bets thing cements Europe's trust in him and his dynasty. Like the the yeah. notes. I'll note the la- one of the last lines in this in this section is you are the moral center of, of Europe. If only we had an emperor like the Masons do. Which he clearly pushes back on a little bit. Yeah. 
yeah, Spain is, uh, again, with the most best he can, says, no, you probably shouldn't have an empire. Emperor. Uh, but people like Spain. <laughs> He's doing a good job, apparently. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good. Good I think he does a coup, as a side note. This is fully in a technical sense, but like he does just sort of assume the powers of governments. Yeah, yeah. But they just don't know who's in charge. Yeah, no, so. no one knows. Oh, this is something I wanted to mention. So, when Ronald Reagan was shot um, by someone who want, really wanted to be a movie actor, very soon afterward, uh, the Secretary of State, Alexander Haig, went on TV and said, Everyone, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I am now in control. Uh, don't worry, everything is fine. Everything is going to be okay. I'm going to manage this transition. As a fun side note on the um, succession of power in the U.S. government, it goes president, vice president, uh, speaker of the house, president pro tempore, and then secretary of state. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact that those people were alive and well, so it looked like Alexander Haig had just taken control of the U.S. federal government. <laughs> it turned out later he just meant in control of the White House because the vice president was on a plane. Uh, but for a couple couple hours there, people were wondering, was there a coup? <laughs> well, this, as I said a few chapters ago, this book is kind of about societies falling apart. So that mm-hmm. that seems thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think we skipped over the fact that Marion Cray confessed uh, to killing everybody in Parliament. Uh, Did he? Did he? I received a message from Cray just after the first missiles hit, and it's a pre-recorded confession. I have already sent it to Papadelia's. Cray intentionally gathered as many officials as they could at Parliament before the attack and published their whereabouts of others on the net so mobs could find them if Cray's own agents failed. So... I it's, entirely it's, missed that entire paragraph. I think it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, I attributed more, like, directionality, but P- Perry Craig did, like, try to organize lake mobs for the, the European government. Yeah, I'm not surprised by it. It's clearly what he was going for. I just didn't realize he actually bothered to confess. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take some flack for this to the one, king. That's fun. But, um... Cray also comes across much better in this chapter than he does in any of the other chapters. Because he's committing to a bit? Because <laughs> he's committing to a bit. Uh, he's picked his side and he's sticking to it. I'm worried I only have one element by which I judge fictional characters, <laughs> and then it's this. <laughs> Learning new things about each other. As, an, as, a, as a note, Mycroft interjects to say that the forces Cray had were Madame's castaway, which is another reason why I think Madame's system isn't great. It generates all, as a, as a byproduct, all these people who hate the system and are willing to do, go to extreme lengths to bring it down. And that's just not a thing you want a political system to do. If you want to claim it's, like, stable or something. Uh, she doesn't want stability. She just wants to get everything. Yeah. Collect it. As is noted by the Utopians. Yes. Yeah. So the we Utopians. can jump into Utopia. Mm-hmm. Consistently are the most right in this chapter. <laughs> I do love it. It's pretty great that they're like, we- we've seen you try us before. We've realized eventually you'll win. So hey, <laughs> we'll do terms. 
And as a, as a fun note, um, and I should, I should address before I get too deep into this, that I, I think what I'm citing here is an NPR story I listened to four years ago. Um, the utopian strategy here mirrors the strategy by which Rome conquered most of Europe, which is to say, hey, I'll help you with your current plan, but once you die, I get all your stuff. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm led to believe that is how Rome got through the vast majority of the European continent, including, like, the island that is now England, um, or possibly Britain. I genuinely am not sure which is which at the current moment. We started recording very late, and you're listening to a much more tired version of Liam than you usually are. Uh, England is part of the island of Great Britain. England is the island of Great so they would say something like, hey, I've noticed you have a water problem. I will solve your water problem, current leader. In exchange, when you die, I get all your land. Which is a great deal for the current leader, but also means that in the course of a hundred years, Rome as an empire will have grown substantially. And that's weirdly what the utopians are doing and not Madame. I... I'm led to believe that Rome did a lot of war in order to get most of its empire. Um, well, they also now, did some of this war ended up with shenanigans. I know in Julius Caesar tried to conquer Egypt, he failed. Um, in terms of like places to conquer, you shouldn't try to conquer Russia then Egypt. Never works. Um, no Napoleon, Julius Caesar just couldn't do it because it's he didn't know how. Um, but Julius Caesar eventually got to a position where he got the Roman Republic as the guarantee of, of the will of the pharaoh. <laughs> um, Good for yeah. him. Yeah. No, it's Good wild. Good for <laughs> him. Um, yeah, I, I also think the Romans just did a lot of conquering. But I think they also will not... If they couldn't conquer, they would try to do these shenanigans. Um, like, Which are effective, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. I, too, would trade remarkable success today for most of the future if I didn't expect to live to see it. <laughs> and that's why you're not a cousin. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of reasons I'm not a cousin. I truly and genuinely struggle to imagine what the cousins are thinking about most problems. Um... Okay, so Utopia just straight up surrenders. The the only surrender we ever see. I don't yeah, think that's true. Using I think there's only the word one. Surrender. Well, when they use the word surrender, sure, but I think there's only one who truly fails to surrender, and it's the Mitsubishi. And I imagine we're going to get to that. I have a note which literally reads, I've been misled, there were only six surrenders. Oh, I have a note about that too. <laughs> in the opposite direction really okay I'm, I'm curious to see where you're going with that um, so the let me summarize briefly utopians show up they say hey we, we're the only hive that thinks about things we've noticed that you're taking over the world uh, we have a few conditions but they're the only ones we care about and we'll otherwise give you the rest of the world for the next 150 years I think they say they negotiate briefly. 
I don't think there's anything really remarkable about the negotiations. Well, there's a couple things I, I, I thought. First of all, Mushi Mojave is negotiating at most months after the death of his bar kid. Sure. What, bar kid? Yeah. Mushi Mojave is the bar parent of Apollo. Wait, what? What? I not at all understood that to be true. Did did the text say that? Yes. One second. They were in the same Bosch. We, kn- we knew sure. they were in the same Bosch. We knew they were family in Bosch. I yeah. absolutely did and not pick up on the fact that Mushi Mojave was the bar parent of Apollo Mojave. I have, in fact, presumed this entire time that Mushi Mojave was, if not of the same generation as Apollo, then of a younger generation than Apollo. It's like the Ba kid of Apollo. Apollo is very young. Yeah. Well, Ba kids seem like a weird niece space in family world, but yeah. That's not what Micro says. Micro says that uh, at several points that saying that a Ba kid is different from a kid is unmodern. Well, I'm not modern, though, for Minecraft, so that's... I kind of support that. Minecraft is 200-some years removed from me. I think it's fair of me to not be very modern in terms of Minecraft's views of the world. Okay, I'm now on Mitsubishi. The, the utopian stuff doesn't actually last that long, so... Let's see where yeah. we Mushi rushed in to tell young Apollo and the other Mojave buckets. So... What page is that on? 77. 77? Yeah. <laughs> this is real early. That can't be right. Yeah, there's another point just before this, uh, in like, um... Say, hang on. 17. Say that entire sentence again. What page is that on? 77. What? Page 77 is in the room where Mycroft Canner died. Yeah. Mushimahave is in that room. Mushimahave is the one who says Utopians say that the Mojave Bashers agreed. To revoke the uh, penalty of uh, Moto Mundo. Yeah, the the what's being spoken about here though is uh, talking about the ants in space, and so when he hurt the ants uh, on Mars, mm-hmm. and we heard about it, he was yeah. rushing in to tell the yeah. young Apollo and the other Mojave Ba kids that every man's even man's greatest achievement, space itself, mm-hmm. was no longer a monopoly. Oh, so yeah. That absolutely flew straight past my head. It happens again. Um, in 245, uh, Apollo said, when, when Apollo was saying why he stabbed, why Apollo stabbed Caesar, that Mushimahabe had been selected to go study the ant colony. I didn't understand. I congratulated them on their Bapa's good fortune. 245. Mm. Yeah. Boy, so I've had two chances to pick up on this. I presumed this entire time that they were they were not a parent of Apollo. That paints a lot of their actions in a different light. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'm struggling to read this book to a degree I didn't realize I struggled to read books. <laughs> it gives a lot of details on the first one through of these books. To be oh, yeah. entirely fair to you. <laughs> So Mushimahave has been Apollo's of the generation prior to Apollo, if not Apollo's actual parent this yeah. entire time. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so Mushima Hafei, who you also know is the, has already been in, in, in Madame's Bash before, which I want to know. We've talked a lot about how, Mukhaf talked a lot about how, once you've seen the inside of Madame's, you have to come back. You can't leave. Um, yeah. And the Utopians respond by this, by sending this person who's been there before back. They're That's probably like, the right they're, choice. Yeah, they're not going uh, to infect the rest of the Utopians. Um, so Mushima Habe goes to negotiate. Um, so Madame says, you're determined to play soldier to the end, aren't you? I'm not playing, is Musi's, Musi's response. Mm-hmm. And then since he built the Empire Exploding Play, I'm sure you realize that. Implying Musi is a, some, in some sense a soldier. Yep. So we keep going back and forth on the whether or not Utopia is planning a war. Yeah. I'm still... Or perhaps I'm freshly based on this chapter. I I truly could not tell you at this point. I think there is a meaningful degree to which I'm unsure whether Utopia is planning a war or remaining prepared for a war that may not come. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know Apollo was planning a war. Apollo was taking active steps to ensure a war happens. Mm-hmm. I think Utopia may be of the impression that they can leave the planet before the war, and perhaps that's even why they're negotiating with Madame in the first place. Because mm-hmm. she would give them time to terraform yeah. Mars. And if you can buy 100 years, or 150 years, which I think is the, is the key number for them. They didn't have 100 years past that. That's all yeah. you need. And then you're in the stars. And sure, there might be there might be conflict additionally after that point, but people are far enough apart then that maybe Utopia is of the impression it won't matter so much. Well, Utopia needs two hundred fifty years in order to make Mars habitable, and then negotiate uh, a peace for the next hundred fifty years. So I think what they're saying, what they're what they're getting here, is that they can get more than the the, the barest minimum they need. Uh, is it 250 or 150? I thought it was 150 years they negotiated for with Madame that she would not yes. interfere with the Mars project. Yeah, but, 250 is how much they need to terraform Mars. That's when they can get to Mars. And I think that's what Liam was saying, is that they then need 100 years past Madame, who is keeping the peace and making it so Utopia can continue that project. So they'd only have to work 100 years past that. And the 150 years, I think, is just because that's Madame and Jed's lifetime. Uh, yeah, I think sure. that's, that's why they put 150 years in the in the um, the deal. Uh, but, but the Utopia need 250 years in order to do Mars, and 150 years they negotiated to not fight Madame, which is different from what Liam was saying, I think. It is different from what I was saying, yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so on two, bottom of 319... Mars won't be ready for another 250 years. Um, I love that Utopia has the title for Jed of the alien yeah. that they're not quite willing yeah. to say in front of his mom. Right. <laughs> and I think we may in fact get in this chapter when they come up with Macromegas as the title for Jehovah specifically here so as not to offend Madame, which is yeah. very fun. Mm-hmm. And all the negotiations go on and they're you know, 
It's one of those things where they happen in the book, and it's difficult to ignore that they happen, but I have no particularly interesting comments about them. Um, yeah. Uh, the visor was fun to see. Okay, what are you seeing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the mystery. It's By the way, to do I was afraid mm -hmm. to look it up. Do either of you know what a CMW is? Is that a plot word or a world word? Um... Like, is this just a thing I don't know about? Or is this part of Terra Ignata? No, no, it's 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 a it's a real thing. I don't remember the acronym stands for. It's like a weapon of mass destruction. CM. So I can safely Google the term mm, CMW. Sure that's true. It might be a new okay. thing. Yeah, I I don't because what I'm getting uh, is crystal magic weapon. So <laughs> that's not helping. Oh uh, no, um, it might that might be it. We get nukes. The, it's, this is in context of, for that one listener, the things you told me will not make from a dumb, and they list nukes, CMWs, bioweapons, chain bombs, positron cannons, armed satellites, and then there's an implied etc. as Madame comes in and says, well, I don't know, I don't need those. I have the power of sex. Um, and I don't know what a CMW is. Possibly this is just a genuine gap in my knowledge of the universe. It's possible that it means a crystal magic weapon. <laughs> it's, um, you speak, right? Crystal magic weapon is a thing from Dark Souls, and it may be a reference to Dark Souls. Possibly, yeah. Why would you tell me? Okay, it, it might be, but it, it also <laughs> might not. Good job. Yeah, yeah so you're all questioning. Uh, also, I love that they call them harbingers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty great. Utopia, don't get me wrong, um... I, uh, I absolutely understand why Utopia is the most popular hive. On the server? Yeah. Yeah. I presume that that's roughly true of fans of the series in general. I think the fans of the series are predominantly likely to Yes. I think that's, that's probably true, too. If you like sci-fi, you probably like Utopia. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I get that most people aren't as into debate as I am, and that is 100% what sold me on the Masons. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I have to say this. I was looking at the stats for hives and I realized it would be a spoiler. Oh, okay. Ooh. Then don't tell me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> one day, do tell me. But Man, that day clearly cannot be today. I don't know why it's like that. I've been sitting in, in the um, Terignata server watching people change hives for some reason. Don't know why. Oh, uh-oh. Something yeah. happens in book four, I suppose. <laughs> things are going to happen in book four. We all knew things were going to happen in book four, but what? That's the question. Yeah, welcome to my entire experience of this series. It's confusing, isn't it? Yeah. No, it is. Alright. So do we so, want to jump to Mitsubishi? Yeah, let's yeah. jump to Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi has a lot that happens all at once. First of all, yeah. perhaps most relevant to my experience of this story... Um, Mitsubishi doesn't surrender. Who was the seventh surrender by your count? Mitsubishi was the surrender. Mitsubishi surrendered. I just disagree. Uh, I Mitsubishi think tried, they, Ando tried very hard to make sure he didn't surrender to Madame, but that ultimately doesn't matter because he surrendered to Jed. I disagree. Like, I objectively think you're wrong about what happened. He surrendered to Dominic for the explicit and specific reason that Dominic will never surrender to Jed, because Dominic's primary motivation 
based on an understanding of men that I don't necessarily share, is that <laughs> men can only love things they're stronger than. Uh, and Dominic needs to see Jed, Jehovah, fail in order to love Jehovah. So Dominic will fight the hardest to ensure that Jehovah fails. Like, it's a backwards motivation, but I think it's, it's very specifically not a surrender of the Mitsubishi. Like, this is why this will make sure the, that the Mitsubishi surrender is time-limited. It will only happen for as long as the current crisis happens. And after that current crisis is over, because of this 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 house such as Jed's nature, it will revert to um the old rules of Mitsubishi. But for that time, during the crisis, Jed will follow uh Dominic will follow Jed's orders, probably mostly. Well, that's where we disagree. And that's... I think he chose Dominic because Dominic will attempt to see. Jehovah fail, as we've seen earlier in this book. No, Jed wants Jehovah to fail, like, to see it. And we've seen him try to see it. But he can't... But what Anna is saying is that this contradiction inside of, of Dominic, much of the contradiction inside of the cousins, will render their uh, long-term strategies nonsense. A long-term, yeah, strategies nonsense. But tactically, Jed, uh, Dominic will follow Jed. He says, but they work for a, 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 a Chinese word I will not attempt to pronounce. Jehovah. Jehovah. They'll follow them as slavishly, more slavishly than anyone. And Ando says, no, you forget. Madame is our enemy, not Zhao Hei Wong. Zhao Hei Wong. You all know what Madame did to Dominic. Dominic hates Madame with a bitter, vengeful hatred. And if we give Dominic power, they'll fight to destroy Madame with more savagery and more intimate knowledge than any of us will ever have. I think this is a clear statement that giving power to Dominic is not at all the same as giving power to Jehovah. In no, no, fact, it's saying that giving power to Dominic is not the same thing as giving power to Madame. And he says, don't worry, even if we're giving power to Madame. Even with King Power Jehovah, Jehovah isn't our enemy. I think it's true Jehovah isn't the enemy. Mm -hmm. I think Madame's interests are aligned with Jehovah's, and thus Dominic's interests are not aligned with Jehovah's. Well, no. Madame's interest is to make a global monarchy last at least a couple generations. Uh, Jehovah's interest... And that's the thing that I think Dominic will not allow. I think Dominic yeah. will take active steps to ensure that Jehovah's monarchy, if that's how we're going to put it, yeah. will not last. Yes, and I think that's true. I think it won't last long in the current crisis. But Alexander didn't la Alexander's empire didn't last that long, and we still talk about Alexander the Great. Sure, and, and I, I kind of agree with you that Jehovah will now take over the world. I kind of thought that last chapter... I just didn't think Madame needed to scheme very much to make it happen, frankly. Um, I just also think that the reason Mitsubishi is giving power to Dominic is explicitly and specifically because Dominic will ultimately oppose Jehovah and thus oppose Madame, and not necessarily because of the fact that Jehovah's act as a tenth director inside of their 
sort of vaguely defined land-based bureaucracy. Okay, um, I'll get to that in a second. But first, I thought that... Jo- uh, oh, wait, you're going to see something, Amy? Oh, yeah, no, I was just going through the steps. <laughs> I don't think it's that, okay, we're giving to Dominic because Dominic will turn on Tycoon or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's more that Dominic's efforts to turn on Tycoon will cause him to be a terrible leader, mm-hmm. and so everyone will want us back. No, I think that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I also think that's true. I think those are equally true elements of what's going on. Um, but so I think ultimately surrendering to Dominic is yeah. still a surrender to Jed in a way. Like for a time, uh, for only for like the current crisis. And then yeah. uh, Dominic will try to turn against Jehovah, and everything will turn belly up, and then they can swoop in. Like even Ando's goal is the other six heights have fallen, but not irrevocably, not will we endure. It's sort of setting up a time bomb in the structure of this world government um, <laughs> that will go off whenever they uh, get it go go off later. I think this is much more comparable to a. A temporary retreat than a proper surrender. And That's I think mm-hmm. Ando makes that clear in his speech to the other directors. I think the fact that... I, the reason why I, other at the, at the end is that um at the very end, Ando's giving a sort of speech talking about how this is actually asserts their independence. Um, this chapter is called Seven Surrenders. This is the lap. This is only... We've counted six before. It's supposed to be the surrender. Mycroft is talking about. So Mycroft, writing in the future, has reason to believe, to, to, to place this sort of, it, to what looks like dramatic irony at the very last part of um, <laughs> The Seven Surrenders. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying my best not to interpret future knowledge as current knowledge. <laughs> but I admit I'm not doing a very good job. Um, I, I suppose I agree with you on that element. Like at least Mycroft thinks this, this is self-evidently a surrender. Uh, that Mycroft believes this is where the Mitsubishi High falls suggests mm-hmm. that their plan doesn't go very well. <laughs> I just believe that characterizing it as a surrender as opposed to a tactical decision is unfair to Ando. No, I think it is a tactical decision. All the, not all of these, are, most of these are actual tactical decisions, rather reasonable in... in that a reasonable response to the facts on the ground. Um, even the surrender, really. But, like, most of them aren't explicit surrenders. But this is the only one that and is... Ando, Ando calls this a surrender. He says we have no choice but to surrender. Oh, really? He says we are defeated. Really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but he's making active plans to retake power in, like, a year. Yeah, a lot of people do that when they surrender. It's like, okay, you beat me, but I will defeat you on the other end of this. <laughs> I guess a lot of people are just wrong, and I think Ando is counting on it being wrong more than the others. I think, for example, Brill, uh, Felix is expecting himself to be sort of subject to Madame's plans more than, say, Ando is. Yeah, that's true. Yes, yes absolutely. Okay, and that... Actually brings us to the end of this chapter. A mere, let me check here, three hours and 40 minutes into this conversation. Yeah. Do you guys have any notes that you missed? Let me pull up my notes and check. Um, oh, I didn't have a translate. In the, in the conversation, we talked about um, 
I'm gonna get the accents wrong because I don't the tones wrong because it, it's just not written with isn't with tones. Um, but they talk about the uh, Shan Huangji and the Shan Taizi as replacements for Porphyrogene and Peritonatus. Mm. And I sort of wonder, okay, let's see what those translate to. I mean, not right in Perida. I want to write Shan Huangji. Okay, Huang. Huang means, come on, you can do it. Tell me Wikipedia. Someone help. It's an ancient surname, and we don't know what it means, I don't think. Huh. That was specific. What? What's she mean? She must be an emperor or something. She is day. Oh god, it's accent problems again. Uh, no, that's Romanian. <laughs> it's something much better. Um, okay, let's see here. It means good. Okay, so... The, the translation um, of, of Porphyrogene is Shan Huangji. I must, I have to just assume Huang means sun, and I just am bad at Wikipedia. Uh, yeah. And Shanji means good emperor. <laughs> this must be a translation made by the Masons. Because why would you... <laughs> <laughs> why else would you do... Oh my god. Tia, the word for emperor is Tianxi. The son of heaven. Religion isn't a no is a no-go, so you thought you have to say good son. That's that's real clever. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, Spanish. That is good. And then <laughs> there's a um a, a point Kim Jong ook says, um Apollo says, you know, if all this happened when you're a director, Ando. You worked hard and did well. This isn't Japan's fault. And I says, thank you. <laughs> Kim Young-Uk asks if he's going to commit suicide. Uh, Ando says, no. Uh, and then someone else says, but it is your fault, you director. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, his reply, if you'd, take to, if you'd care to take responsibility, ask maintenance to show you how to unlock lock that window. I have work to do. Uh, again, everyone just like, okay, crisis, I'm gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> Ando probably didn't get to the place with Bite, but really, to be fair to Ando, Ando did not get to the place where he is by being willing to take responsibility in any reasonable sense. He's <laughs> going to work and uh, blame others. Oh. Oh. I want to talk about Huang and Lei. My deeply relevant comment was that Inlay is the same name as Zhao Inlay, the hottest Chinese communist. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was a, 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 a ally of Mao's in like the nineteen twenties, and then after the nineteen fifties, but ended up dying of prostate cancer because Mao wouldn't let him go get good medical care. But he, while he, that entire time, he was very attractive. To the end, uh, <laughs> excellent. There you go. That's all you can ask, really. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same Marty to the T, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody also got a shot off at Mycroft, which is more than any, any of us can hope, out, hope for. True, true. Uh, 
Uh, and I got to sit in on a talk by a NASA astronaut at one point talking about the issues of getting to Mars. Ooh, okay. Let's hear. And why it's, yeah. So, uh, well, today, the general idea that an ideal round trip from Earth to Mars and back would take three years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, a big part of that is, you know, the moon is always right there. It's circling us. The math to get to Mars is a lot more complicated and you have to wait for the right time and things like that. So you'd be on Mars for a while during that, waiting for your window. Oh. Uh, the oh. actual time to get there from Earth is about seven months. Uh, and I think I did the math with how fast our cars are in uh, Terra Ignata. Mm -hmm. And that kind of tracks to how the same time it would take to get to Mars. So it's, even if you could get to Mars and get back, that's a very long round trip. Mm -hmm. uh, not many people are going to want to do that. So it's not quite the same as traveling to the moon. Mm -hmm. and oh. Which, the moon only takes, what, 38.5 hours to get to? Uh, so, you know, people can make a week of that. Yeah. It's a quick trip. <laughs> a week uh, a week vacation, go to the moon and back. Yeah, yeah. It's a field trip. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's why the terraforming is so important. Because, again, you know, it takes so long to get there. So, hey, you suddenly need heart surgery. Uh, <laughs> or you, you need something you don't have. It's not going to be there. I, I like to think of it as... You know, people who went out on boats in the ocean, but even then, you generally had an idea of islands and that there are things out there and that there's water you could get into, whereas you can't get out of your spaceship. Yeah. Uh, so I think the Pacific only when when people actually like, crossed it, it took like, well, it took either six months or hundreds of years, depending on whether you want to count uh, that <laughs> circumnavigation by the Spanish or the uh, Polynesians are the first people to do it. Uh, one is much different time time rate than the other. <laughs>